We're excited uh, to continue our journey through the book of James as we are uh, heading towards maturity, as we want to be people of God that are growing consistently. And um, this week, we're going to look at uh, favoritism, and we're going to look at what that is. We, uh, we can have favorites in life. Um, you, you can have a favorite meal. Uh, that meal for me would be hamburger french fries all day long. Uh, you can have a favorite team. If you're wondering for me, it's the Cowboys for football, and it is Braves for baseball. Don't question me. Um, if you want to know my favorite artist, and I don't mean painter, uh, that would uh, that'd be Lydia. She's quite the artist. But, uh, but no, for me, like artist, it'd be Johnny Cash. I mean, just it's a no-brainer. If you wonder what's my favorite movie, it's A Wonderful Life. And, oh, there you go. Thanks. And if you're wondering uh, who is my favorite kid, I will tell you exactly what I say to my kids when they ask that question. Your mom is always my favorite. So, you don't have favorite kids, but I have your mom, and she's my favorite always. But favoritism in the Bible, what we're talking about today, is not like that type of favorite stuff. Uh, th this, is, uh, this was a huge problem in uh, the time of James, and it is a huge problem even today. It might look a little different, like the way that we show favoritism may look different, but um, it clearly is the same heart that we deal with. So let me pray for us, and then I'll have you stand as we read from James chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1 in just a few minutes. Wow. Lord, this morning as we look at your word, as we look at what you have to say to us, as we look at the book of James and we wonder... What does favoritism look like in our world? What does favoritism look like in the church at large? But also, what about us? What about us as individuals and what about us as people in a family of faith together? Lord, I pray that you would help us to be diligent about understanding what you have for us, Lord. What is it that you want us to change in our lives? What it is you want us to um, show as fruit of following you, Lord? We lift this morning up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you could please stand as we read together. And um, we're in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It's on the screen as well if you need it. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into a meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit down on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges of, with evil thoughts. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble man of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, 
Love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and you are convicted by the law of lawbreakers. <coughs> For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. <coughs> For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Be seated. So verse 1 is pretty plain. Uh, It says, don't show favoritism. This is not a hypothetical problem that James is addressing then. This was a big issue. It, it is not uncommon even in our today, in our day. And James gives us an example that I want to put into words that we would understand because, you know, not many people that we, you know, walk around and we're like, ooh, that's a nice gold ring guy. Like, that's not kind of how we do. Our gold rings are more like what we wear or what we, uh, you know, uh, what shoes we have, what car we drive. So it's like somebody coming into our church, rolling into the parking lot with a, just a really sweet ride, and they get out of the car, and as they get out of the car, you notice they've got just the, the best shoes you've ever seen. They, they, they're dressed, you know, from they got some nice slacks on. They probably have like a $90 uh, golf uh, polo, and it, it's from the Masters, so you know they went to Augusta. I mean, you, this is like, you know, somebody that's like, oh, this guy's got it all together. And this guy comes into our church, and we're like, oh, my goodness, we got to meet this guy. Like, who is this guy? And we walk up to him, we introduce ourselves, and he's just, you know, hordes of people are just coming up and coming up. And he's asking the same question. Doesn't your church start at 10? And uh, yeah, they'll be here in a few minutes, that type of question. But anybody that's new that comes, they're always here early. And it's like, where is everybody? They'll be here. And we just have this great conversation with this man. And that same Sunday or another Sunday, uh, somebody walks in and it's clearly uh, a person that's in need. Uh, maybe they don't quite, you know, fit the stereotypical homeless person that we might think about, but there, there, there's something going on, and this person is uh, looks like a lot of work. Maybe it's a single mom that comes in and she's dragging three kids that are just screaming their heads off. Maybe it's watching how she's, you know, trying to keep it all together, and and, and we're like, can we help you? Or we just flat out, politely, oh, what beautiful children, and walk away. Because one of those scenarios, we're wondering who he is. And the other scenario, we're wondering, what does she want? Like, we, we assume so much when we are favoritism. One in that scenario is favored over the other. And favoritism would be seeing anyone more important or treating someone differently than anybody else. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have different friendships. That doesn't mean that you can't talk to your friends more than you talk to somebody else. Uh, but it does mean that, that, you know, with a close friendship being good, it, it could become clicky, right? It could be that we just huddle with our masses and we ignore the people around us. Or we ignore the new people that are here, or the people that are in need. See, this is different. Uh, this, this type of favoritism, this is judging someone as less worthy 
than another. Whether it's their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, how they vote, their economic standing, what they look like physically, if they have any physical needs, if they have any emotional needs. Do you know that most people are crippled more by emotional needs than physical needs out there? And you really can't see the emotional needs often, can you? Like everybody that's coming here is broken. Every single one of us. And we try and be polite to those that are obviously those that we want to favor because my goodness, look at who they are. But we avoid those that are in real need because quite frankly, we don't want it to mess up our system. We don't, we don't want to get involved because we know if we get involved, it's going to require a lot of us. And, and quite frankly, we think to ourselves, is that person of that much value? That's the core of it. That's what favoritism is. And this doesn't just happen in church, but sadly it does. I mean, this is in our everyday interactions. Like James is writing this to the people that are gathering on a specific uh, day of the week and saying, okay, you people here are right now. No, he's writing this letter to the church at large because they were living in a way that was displeasing to God. They were playing favorites. And so, no, you cannot engage everybody that has a need. Like that's, that's an automatic thing we go to. Like, oh, well, then I shouldn't ignore anybody. And I got to take care of everybody's needs. No, no, you don't. You can't. But you can be involved through like empathy with people. You can't ask questions like, is, how, is that person okay? What does that person need? You can pray for that person. You can, you can maybe get involved in their life. Maybe you're being called to be involved in somebody's life who's in great need right now. That is an excellent way to not show favoritism. But you see, this is about the attitude of our heart. The issue then is the same issue now. It just looks different. But human nature is not. Favoritism is flat out unchristian. Plain and simple. It is like saying that someone that is uh, like impressive to the world is worth more than somebody that's not. That is the opposite of Christian. Verse 4 says it's evil. And as Christians, we are inclined towards those in need. We don't size people up. Because if you are following Christ and growing in Christ and maturing in Christ, you will start to see and understand and believe and live in this fact that everybody is made in the image of God. Verse 5, this is more in us than, than we're aware. Uh, there, there's actually a statistical fact that there are more poor Christians in this world than wealthy. There are. People might understand you know, that, that to mean that uh, the wealthy feel like they have it all together. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I think that the wealthy have access to more resources than the poor. And so I think folks that are poor um, get to a point of desperation much faster. Because you can delay and delay and delay. And it's not just me saying this. I mean, Jesus, they asked Jesus questions and he said, it is easier for a rich man 
to get to the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's not as it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Like that's impossible, right? Than for a rich man to get to heaven. Meaning there's a lot of things that distract wealthy people, and there are wealthy Christians out there. There are. And they are just as much made in the image of God as the poorest of the poor Christians. And they're just as much made in the image of God as the poorest of poor non-Christian. Like they too are made in God's image. And so it's not saying wealthy people aren't Christians, but the trappings of this world can actually affect them. But we are also in verse five to understand that we are all called to be rich. Now, this is where churches get crazy. We will not. What are we called to be rich in? According to verse 5, faith. Like this growing, maturing faith. That God wants you to have more faith in Him. And, and He wants you to grow in that faith because as you grow in that faith, as you understand that He is faithful more and more, what you start to experience is more of Him. And that encourages your faith. He knows that this is good for us. Those promptings that you're like, I wonder if that's the Lord. I wonder if that's him speaking. I, I, I just read this verse and it, I think that might be for me. Well, yeah. That's experiencing faith. That's growing in faith. That's called to be rich in faith. I mean, it's like the difference between like, oh, I get it. And I, I understand how it works. And it doesn't happen all the time versus, oh, I get it. And I, I don't even have to think about it. Like, I don't have to think about walking, believe it or not. Like, I'm 51 years old. When I want to walk somewhere, I don't have to think to myself, okay, right foot, let's go. Okay, left foot. Like, there's, there's a growth in that. But when I was young, I stumbled all over the place. That's the same thing with us spiritually. Like, if we want more faith, we'll... Ask for it. And as you ask for it, God will give you opportunity to grow it every time. Might not be in your timing, but it will happen. And as you grow in faith, there's certain things that you don't struggle with uh, that you did maybe as you were a, a, a newborn Christian. And so we continually grow. We continually get rich in this faith because when we grow in faith, we are going to experience Christ. Jesus begins to change our hearts and our minds to become more and more like him. That's called sanctification, becoming more like Christ. That's maturity. And it happens. Not perfection, but maturity. Well, then James talks about in verse 8 here, if you keep the royal law. What is the royal law? That, that sounds very important to me. I mean, if you were ever to hear about a royal law, I think you would be like, oh, what's that? The royal law is what God commanded in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. When Jesus, God in the flesh, added to it, in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, they were asking him questions, and this is what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest 
commandment. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to trip him up. And Jesus not only knocks it out of the park, but he even adds a command to it. To make it so understandable to us that if we live this verse, we are growing in faith. And Jesus says this, Love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and all your strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up everything God wants. That he wants for us, that he wants for the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of God, us growing in that truth. And as the kingdom of God grows in you, as, as, as you begin to mature, what's going to happen is fruit's going to appear in your life. And you're going to be like, how'd that get there? Oh, because I've been following Christ. And you know what to do. You know what to say. You know what not to do. Again, not perfect. Maturing. And then verse 10, I want to reread this to us because it's helpful, but it doesn't sound like it. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Well, why is that helpful to us? Because that, quite frankly, sounds depressing and hopeless. Has anybody ever sinned? Go ahead, raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Yeah, just one of us is not. Okay. <laughs> they just lied. Like, this sounds hopeless, but if I break one of God's commands, I'm guilty of breaking what ultimately? The royal law that Jesus talked about. The royal law that, that God talked about. It's called the, great, the greatest commandment. If we are guilty of sinning in any way, well, what have we done? We've broken the great commandment. Because somewhere along the way, we are clearly not loving God with every bit of ourselves. Or we're not loving our neighbor like we should. I mean, it's something that we choose. I, I am not often nowadays shocked when I sin, to be frank with you. I might be shocked that like something came out of my mouth but I'm not shocked that it happened because I know that's in me. It's not like I'm shocked. Like one time I you know, was driving talking to somebody and I literally was talking to him and I like went over the median in the middle of the road. I was genuinely shocked. Like I did not see it happening. I was too distracted, but I was guilty, right? That wasn't a conscious choice, but like, think about it. When we sin, more often than not, we are like, oh, I'm doing this, right? Oh, this is happening. Like we are in that situation. That sounds depressing. That sounds hopeless. And it is because we can't do it in and of ourselves. And we follow a God that does not sit up in heaven with a checkboard, just going, oh, another one, oh, another one. No, 
even our partial obedience at times that we think, oh, I'm doing like even that's disobedience, right? We are helpless without Christ. That is a good thing. Because it helps us to know how desperate we are for him in our everyday, ordinary lives. That we need him. And God knows that the royal law, the great commandment, he's like, this is it. Live this. And he knew we couldn't do it. And he knew because we were lawbreakers where we were heading. And so he came to us. Desperate, hopeless people. Verse 12 says to speak and act. You know, how you speak uh, as you grow in Christ, it actually changes. Like you, you start to realize, quite frankly, you don't need to say as much. This is coming from a guy who talks a lot. Like that God is always up to something and sometimes I get in the way and sometimes I just need to hush. But then there's those times where I, I, I know what to say to somebody because I've, I've walked through life and, and, and I've been through what they've been through and I've struggled like they've struggled and I, I've seen God give victory in that area and I can lean in and, and, and I can speak those things. Like Christians speak hope. And then it says to speak and act. And now act, we always think, oh, well, uh, you know, fake it till you make it type thing. No, I'm, this is not faking it. The, the, the original language here for act, it meant abide. It meant agree. It meant band together. Like play your role. Like, and not in a fake way like your role is to be a child of God and to follow him with all of your heart all of your mind all of your soul all of your strength and to love your neighbors yourself that's your call that's my call and it's impossible to fulfill it and yet Jesus loves us anyway and he knows we're not going to keep all of it he knows we're going to blow it and yet he loves us anyway he knows we're hopeless and desperate without him and he loves us anyway. Because verse 13 is like, because changed people are changed by the gospel. That, that Jesus came to pay our penalty. And we're going to celebrate communion today to recognize that. Because it says here that he judges with mercy. And those that have been changed by that fact that we've been judged by mercy, we start to understand that we need to judge others with mercy too. And so changed people don't play favorites. Changed people know that they're desperate and hopeless without Jesus. And changed people can grow in maturity as we live the great commandment to love the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves.